The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about 10 miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 8 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com, that's z-i-o-n-p-b-c.com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. In Job chapter 22 and verse 21, we read an admonition to Job that we would do well to heed. Now, I realize Eliphaz was applying it wrongly and being very self-righteous and condemning of Job, very judgmental in a way that he shouldn't have been. But when he tells Job to acquaint now thyself with him, that is, with God, he is telling Job something that's very true. Acquaint now thyself with him. Get to know God. When we get to know God, we find peace and comfort. So join us today as we begin to look at this verse and see how important it is that we get to know our God through his written word. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit. Thank you. 
back tonight to the book of Job and uh, we have been in Job on a verse by verse approach up until a few weeks ago. We made it through the first arguments that that these three miserable comforters presented to Job and we've gotten a taste of their Phariseeism we would call it today, their self-righteousness, their approach to Job which was not one bit of comfort to him which was to criticize and to point out his faults and to basically tell him the whole reason this is happening is number one, God's doing it to you. And number two, he's doing it to you because of something you've done and you just won't confess it, Job. Well, we know both of those are, are wrong because number one, God wasn't doing it to you. The devil was. And we know that because the curtain was peeled back for us and we get to, we get to see what's happening between God and the devil. And secondly, it wasn't because of anything particular that Job had done. Now, that doesn't mean Job wasn't a sinner. He was a sinner, just like everyone else. And some of his pride, he did have some pride. And some pride is coming out in Job. And we're going to see that the more we go through this. But, but, but you can't point to a particular sin that brought this upon Job. We've seen how those comforters were miserable and how they... They didn't bring any comfort to Job. And we've seen how Job responded. And now we've kind of stepped out of that verse-by-verse approach to, to pull out some verses from some of the things that these friends of Job said that were applied wrong, but that nonetheless are true. There's some gems in here. There's some truth-filled gems in what they say. They apply them wrong in every instance. 
But I wanted to pull those out, and we've looked at a couple of them already. We looked, at, uh, we looked over in Job chapter 15 and verse 14, where ultimately I believe it's verse 16, where he says, He putteth no trust in his saints. And that's true. And, and that was something we explored a little bit, a true statement of depravity. Then we looked at chapter 20 and verse 4 and 5, where uh, Zophar makes the statement that the triumphing of the wicked is short. And that's true too, but the problem is, their definition of short wasn't God's definition of short. We saw that two weeks ago that a day with the Lord is as a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. If that's God's definition of a day, I'm way out of my league. <laughs> and when I look around and say, oh, well, things aren't working out like they're supposed to. Justice isn't being served. Uh, I wonder what's happening. It seems like a long time. Well, if God waits my whole lifetime to implement justice, that's nothing in his sight. His timetable is different than ours. That Zophar made a true statement. He was applying it wrong. He was applying it like I might when I look around and say, Lord, why aren't you doing something? <laughs> you ever ask that? You know, sometimes we say that it's a good thing God is God and I'm not God because I'd already come back and destroy this nation like he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And that's a real presumptuous statement on our part, but I understand the sentiment behind it. Things aren't happening the way we think they ought to be, but God has a different timetable. Tonight, I want to come down to something a little more positive and really important for us. And it's found in chapter 22 and verse 21. And this is Eliphaz, the Temanite. He has come back to chastise Job again. And remember what he's going to say here. He's applying wrong. But I love this verse. And there's so much truth in this verse when it's understood rightly. Chapter 22 and verse 21. Acquaint now thyself with him and be at peace. Thereby good shall come unto thee. Now I know and I want to reemphasize that Eliphaz is taking this statement and applying it in the wrong way to Job. But I want to say to you that the statement by Eliphaz is the best advice that I could possibly give you in any circumstance of life. Acquaint thyself with God. Acquaint thyself with Him. And I hope tonight to not deliver that message to you in a self-righteous, prideful manner, but rather in a, in ex, as an exhortation to you and to me that we ought to get to know God a little bit better every day. Acquaint now thyself with with him. Let's, let's take that apart tonight. Acquaint thyself with him. Acquaint now thyself with him. The definition in the Hebrew of that word that's translated acquaint in the form that it's used means to, to show harmony with or to be familiar with or to know intimately. In another uh, uh, Greek Hebrew lexicon that I had, it, it said it's to form an acquaintance with someone. Now, in a different form of that verb, it means to be obedient or to be a servant. But notice in this form, it's, it's telling, it's as if in the, in the active form of that verb, it's to say be obedient to. And in the passive form, which is used here, it's saying you need to get to know him. You need to get to know God. You need to be acquainted with Him. And it's the same word as is used, the same Hebrew word that's used 
in Psalm 139 and verse 3 where it says of God, Thou, God, compasseth my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. God is acquainted with all of our ways. Don't you think it'd be good if we got acquainted with some of His ways? God knows all about you. If you're a child still living at home with your parent, you think your parent knows you, and they do know you better than others. Nobody knows you like God. If you're married to a spouse, you think your husband or wife knows you, and, and I hope you do know one another uh, uh, much more intimately and deeply in knowledge than you know others out there. Your, your marriage ought to be as, as if between best friends, that you know that spouse better than anyone else in the world. I feel that I know my wife better than anybody else in the world, and she knows me better than anybody else in the world, but she's only scratched the surface of what God knows about me. He is acquainted with all my ways. Now, now, how do you get acquainted with someone? I didn't open up a magazine one day and see an ad for a mail-order bride and write a letter and say, hey, I'm interested in you sending me someone and, and they sent me Sherry and, and I brought her on as part of the team and, and I kind of drop in every now and then and check on her. That's not the way we got acquainted. We got to know each other. You know, in our modern day of dating or courting, we, we go out, we kind of talk, we get to know one another, we spend time together. And hopefully when you marry, you begin to get even closer and closer to that person. And the only way to do that is to spend time with them. To spend, you know, <laughs> once Sherry and I started dating, we talked every day. And, uh, you know, back then you had to, it was a, it wasn't a portable phone. It was, you know, we would call, I would call her, and I know I worried them to death, you know, or I, I would come over, and I, you know, I spent more time with her dating her than I ever would let my children spend time dating. They're, they're, they're now spouses, so I'm confessing to y'all. You get it. You, you see now my double standard. But, uh, but my point is I wanted to get to know her, and how I got to know her was to spend time with her. And I want to say to you, by the way, for you husbands and wives out there, the only way to stay acquainted and to get better acquainted with your spouse is to spend time with them. Spend time with them. You've got to be together. You know, I understand it's okay from time to time to go out and, you know, you know, go eat lunch with your friends from high school. I do that from time to time. With, but if I start hanging out with them all the time and, and to the neglect of Sherry, then there's, some kind, there's a problem there, you see. Once you become married, you know, one of the things about cleaving is the Hebrew word for glue. And that, that means that you come together, you cleave together as husband and wife. And, and, and you know, you think about it when you, when you go to glue something together, they always, what do they always say? They say, clean the surface, get all the grit out of the way. Because if you got some grit in there or something in between, it's not going to bind like it should. So that's the way it is in a marriage. You've got to get all the grit out of the way. I'm not saying you've got to turn your back on your old friends. It's fine to have friends. I'm thankful I've got friends that I've had since high school and elementary school. But my best friend is my spouse, and that's the way it has to be. But I've got an even better friend. There, there's, Sherry and I have been married 30 years. And, you know, I hope, we, I hope we're married. I hope we live to be married another 30 
But chances are really good, and some of you have experienced, that you may end up spending some time alone. There may be a time when your spouse passes away and you're left alone. Well, I'm thankful to know that as acquainted as I have been with my wife, if she were to, to die before me, there's another one out there that's even closer to me than she is. There's someone else who is more acquainted with my ways than she ever could possibly be. And it ought to be imperative to me to get to know that one that knows me so well. Acquaint now thyself with him. And notice this, it said, acquaint now thyself with him. God wants us to know him. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? He has, you know, we're told in, in 2 Timothy 2.19, I believe it is, the foundation of God standeth sure. The Lord knoweth them that are his. The Lord knows us. And he, doesn't just, he didn't just get acquainted with us. He has known us before the foundation of the world. He, he says we're elect according to the foreknowledge of God. And it's not according to the foreknowledge of what we would do. He said whom he did predestinate, uh, whom he did foreknow rather. He also did predestinate. He foreknew us intimately. Before, we're told in one place, I believe it's Psalm 139, but we won't turn there. But we're told in one place in the Psalms that there was a book of our members written before we were even, in, even conceived in the womb. God already knew us. He knows everything about you. He knows more about you than you know about yourself. And he wants us to know him. Isn't it amazing that the God of the universe would allow us to become acquainted with him? To, to show harmony with him, to be familiar with him, to know him intimately. He tells us in the Song of Solomon that he said, you know what, there's a couple of places where he says, I am his, and certainly I am his, but he also says, he is mine. He is mine. Can you, can you fathom that? Yes, we are God's children, but he is our father. You know, sometimes I think we think about the doctrine of election as if, a farmer went out to a grain bin and just took a big scoop and scooped up a bunch of grain and brought it back, you know. And so, you know, just some impersonal electing power of God. But beloved, I want you to know something. Your God knew you intimately, personally, before the foundation of the world. The choice of you as his people. The choice of you and I as his children was not some impersonable, impersonal grab bag of the Lord that the Lord engaged in before the foundation of the world. He knew you and me. He is a personal Savior. I'm not afraid of that word. I know how the world use it, uses it. I understand the song. I used to sing the song. Never did like the song. <laughs> When I sang in a quartet, I used to sing the song, He's a Personal Savior. And in that, in that song, it talks about the things we got to do to make it personal. <laughs> Beloved, that's not too personal. That's an impersonal Savior that somehow you've got to do something to get personal with. Beloved, our God is a personal Savior, and He's always been a personal Savior from before the foundation of the world. And now, praise God, we have the ability to acquaint ourselves with Him. Isn't that amazing? Think about Isaiah 57 and verse 15. I know it's one of Brother Buddy's favorite verses. It's one of mine too. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity 
whose name is holy. Listen to all the superlatives about God here. I dwell in the high and holy place. Man, that's some kind of God, isn't it? He's the high and lofty one. He inhabits eternity. I can't even fathom that. I don't even know what all that means. I know it at least means that time means nothing to him. Time doesn't mean anything to God. We, we've already talked about that, about how that Eliph, uh, Zophar rather, got it all mixed up and thinking the Lord was going to do something on his timetable. God's timetable is so much greater than ours because it spans past our lifetime. I preached a message not too long ago. I don't think I preached it here on the same subject, but uh, on the 70-year vision of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, under the inspiration of God, he was writing a letter to those who were in captivity in Babylon. He said, he said, here's what God wants you to do. He wants you to live your lives. He wants you to give your daughters and sons in marriage. He wants you to build houses. He wants you to do everything day to day in serving him just like you would back home, even though you're in captivity. And he says, in 70 years, you're going to get to go home. <laughs> you know, I, I know, I can just see those that were reading this as they're reading. Uh, it's being read to them there in Babylon in captivity. Uh, it's a letter from God through the mouth of Jeremiah. And I can just see them say, okay, when's he going to get to the kicker where he's going to tell us we're about to, if we'll do all this, then we'll just get to be picked up and taken back uh, to, to Israel and we'll be back home in, in short order. And he gets to the end. He says, now understand this. You're going to be here 70 years. Brother Buddy and I wouldn't make it 70 years. <laughs> if God said you're going to be in captivity 70 years, you're not going to get to see your home and the temple and the place that you long to be for 70 years, you can just write us off. Brother Mackey, I don't know about you. You might make it, but uh, Brother Buddy and I won't. But you see, here's the point. God is telling, by the way, he's telling us this too. We don't need to have a, a seven-day view or seven-day vision for this church. We need to have a 70-year vision. Or as dear old elder Andrew Jackson Coleman had, who helped to constitute this church back in 1847, a 175-year view. So to this point to where now his great-great-great-granddaughter and her family have found a place to light their feet in this world of shifting sand. You see, God has a view that surpasses our lifetime. You see, he's not on our timetable, and yet this high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy and who dwells in the high and holy place. Listen to the rest of that verse. Who does he dwell with? The great and the mighty? The principalities and powers? No. With him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Now that right there brings me a little hope. When you start talking about the high and lofty one that inhabits eternity and that's holy and righteous, I get a little nervous because I can't compete with that. I can't measure up to that. But I'll tell you what, if he's looking for a contrite and humble spirit, I can bring that. I can, I've got that. If, if he's looking for the, uh, someone who's humble to be revived and to revive the heart of contrite ones, I find myself more often than not, Brother Buddy, contrite and humble. You know, I like to get lifted up with pride sometimes, Brother Mackey. It's, you know, I think, boy, I'm, I'm all that. <laughs> and then I realize I'm not all that. 
I'm not all that. You know, I heard Brother J.C. Russian say it this way one time. He said, just about the time you think you've got a tail hold and a downhill pull on something, on righteousness, there's going to be a stob comes up and it'll just trip you up. <laughs> and he's right about that. He's right about that. He said, Thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. This is something we need to know about God. Otherwise, we'll just be in fear of him. He is, he is a God who sits high in the heavens, as I heard the old preacher say, but he looks low on this earth to his children. They were told over in Deuteronomy chapter 4, those Israelites were. Let's just turn there for a minute. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, as Moses is about, he's giving them the law. And Deuteronomy is really, uh, is, is talking about giving the law the second time. He gave it to them once and now he's reaffirming it. And in Deuteronomy chapter 4, in verse, uh, verse 35, he says, Unto thee it was showed that thou, and now he's talking about, how God has done all these things for Israel. And, and he's saying, have you ever seen anything like this? Where he took a nation from the midst of another nation out of Egypt and he brought you forth by wonders and signs and war and by a mighty hand and a stretched out arm. But he says unto thee, verse 35, it was showed that thou mightest know that the Lord, he is God, there is none else beside him. There's some things that God wants us to know about him. Number one is he is God. And by the way, that means by its very definition that you are not. <laughs> Due to the constraints of time, we will stop the message here. But please join us tomorrow for the conclusion of this message. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's Z-I-O-N-P-B-C-1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.